And joining me now is my good friend, Mr. Al Bat, who I am so excited to tell of all the loons I saw. Al, you would not believe how many loons I saw, and I'm so excited. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, they are uh, beautiful. Just, there's something about them, and they're just really cool to see one. It just it it, it buoys our spirits and makes us uh, just feel better about pretty much everything. We, I think we would see like groups. I don't know if you call if they're called flocks, but groups of twelve on the water together. You know, and then sometimes there'd be a single one with a baby riding on top, which was so cute because they're cute but they are really actually very large birds i noticed so how come why do they hang out in groups and sometimes they don't and how big are they they are really really big and that's why uh, you watch eagles maybe would try to take a young loon but they're probably not going to mess with a full grown adult because they have these dagger-like bills and if you're a bald eagle or another bird of prey do you really want to fly down and mess with one of these guys <laughs> and you get hurt and that's you know you can't go to the um, urgent care or the emergency room you're all on your own and you're probably not going to make it if you're injured uh, very severely so they're going to try to maybe you know they would love to pick off a little loon but they just can't the thing i've heard loons called a group of loons is uh, and i know a lot of people would get ready to groan an asylum really asylum of loons oh, yeah dear. <laughs> and i don't know if there's any um, if that's really, but that's what I've heard all my life from people. I've called them an asylum of loons. And again, whether that's true or not, I I don't know. If not, it probably should be because it's a, it's a really cool name. And so I hope hope it is. Did you get to hear them uh, make all their calls? Oh my goodness, we heard so many of them. It's just amazing. And it was a place called Big Turtle Lake up by Big Fork. Minnesota, and now it didn't have really great fishing for northerns, but it had lots and lots and lots of panfish. So I was wondering if, because there were so many loons there, did that is that the kind of fish they go for, or don't they really care what they eat? I think they uh, love any kind of fish. There's certain, uh, you know, they're, maybe they're like us. We'd, we'd rather have a walleye than, or a lot of us would rather have a walleye. I, I didn't. Their size, it's, um, I'm holding my hands apart here, which is always good on radio. <laughs> uh, 30 inches, maybe, around in there, I would guess, in length. And their wingspan is probably uh, nearing four feet. Okay. And they probably weigh 9 to 12 pounds. And if you see one where one is a little bigger than the other one, that's, that's a male. The male is a little bit bigger than the female so they are uh, uh they're just incredible and it's amazing those little ones and they'll grow up and they'll be left there they haven't really flown yet mom and dad will just say you know what i'm just we're sick of this so we're going off so the babies are there and they will congregate and then they will fly off heading south to a place they've never never flown before is where they're going to go. Yeah, where so do they go? I always wondered where they hang out. Uh, down to the, the Gulf Coast for the most part. And as far as what they're eating, I would, I'd bet, 
I don't know if they eat a quarter of their weight, but I'm I'm guessing it's getting pretty close to eating a quarter of their weight every day for an adult. So if you're a baby loon, then you got to kick that up because you got to turn this. You got to grow and grow and grow. So it's probably forty percent. And I remember, I don't know who it was, uh, I read somebody in, had written a book, and they studied loons, and they said that they thought it took a ton of fish Whoa. to feed a pair of loons and their chicks over the single breeding fe- season. So they eat a lot of, lot of fish. I've watched them. My wife and I used to go out on one of these little uh, paddle boats where we get on there and we just pedal like crazy and the loons paid no attention to us whatsoever the uh, the little ones would be on their backs and of course i didn't i i probably owned a camera but it wasn't one worthy of taking pictures of much of anything except a, a new to us car maybe but they uh they would uh eat fairly small fish but i remember these guys were bringing up Crayfish. Crayfish? So what's they, what's they a were crayfish? On a, crayfish, a crawdad, um, oh. a poor man's lobster. If you go down to Louisiana, they'll feed you a bunch of it. And I, I think some fairs now will even offer it. Oh. But uh, loons will eat probably fairly small fish. And why I say that is just easier to eat so and probably easier to catch. So they will uh, eat bluegills. Uh, oh, that that sort of thing. Sunfish, those other kind of fish that they find there. So they, uh, I know they will eat largemouth bass because a bass fisherman was telling me that. And when you get down south, uh, they will eat shrimp. But here they'll eat frogs, hmm. even some like aquatic insects where we see some of those uh, giant water bugs and those kind of things. They'll eat those. So um, they like to eat crayfish and shrimp and those things if fish numbers are low. So I think what they're going to eat first is fish. They're, they're going in and saying, you're all out of fish? Is that what you're telling me? Well, give me some crayfish, and I'll take the crayfish special. Well, every once so in a it, while we would see the, the bigger bird, I don't know if it was the mother or the father, bringing a little fish to the, the baby and, and feeding it, which I thought was kind of interesting, because don't they learn to fish on their own too? Or They do uh, pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, and they'll be bringing, I know, uh, boy, Minnetonka in some places you see sunfish, perch, um, minnows, catfish, of course, small catfish, one of those big ones would probably eat the little loon. And in the U.K., they're called the Great Northern Diver. So instead of loons, the Great Northern Diver is what they told me when I was over there. So I, and I believe them. I pretty much believe everybody. I don't know. I, just, I even believe gulls, so I'm pretty gullible. <laughs> Here it's, uh, uh, you know, our weather has been up and down. I guess that's pretty much what it always is. Yep. Our weather's up, up and down. And this morning, I was out early right at the crack of dawn, and this silver of blue as intense as the summer sky zoomed by. It was a blue jay off on his daily errands, and it was just so neat to see him. Just this flash of blue, it was like lightning, only a piece of sky had fallen and zipped through the yard. And it made me feel like a star witness. And uh, I, 
He uh, later I saw him. He circled around, came back, and he was on one of my feeders. I, I employ a lot of bird feeders because they're uh, chirper by the dozen. Uh, I apologize for that, but they are chirper by the dozen. Uh, house wrens, boy, are they singing today? They're singing a hymn to to a summer day. And their songs, you know what it is? Sometimes when you're outside, you hear something, and their songs are one of those things. They come from everywhere, and they come from nowhere. They're just everywhere. And other voices singing this morning, I heard robins, of course, common yellow throats, American red starts, red-eyed vireos, indigo buntings, goldfinches, and then a catbird just was practicing, singing over and over and over. On my feeders, when I look out now, there's fledged rose-breasted grosbeaks. They, it's like they're moving in slow motion. They just, I don't know, they must not be an excitable bird. They just, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of, uh, oh, what do we call, there was always a kid in every class that just moved slow. Doddler or lollygag? Yeah, or a mope. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, my Aunt Ruth, you say. Well, he's sort of a mope, she'd say. And we say, well, what's a mope? Well, he just doesn't, he doesn't get things done real fast. He just, and yeah, I guess that's what these guys are. But on the other hand, I have fledged chickadees. And there, I don't know how many of them there are, because it's pretty much impossible to count chickadees. And they're tuckered parents. Uh, they The parents are just... Their feathers are kind of beat up. They're just worn out. But it's a treat to watch them and to listen to. And yesterday, uh, late afternoon, I heard all this chickadee dee 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 dee, and there was this <laughs> large number of chickadees, and they're like ventriloquists, so they can throw their voices from different areas. And I thought, what is going on? And I went out, and here was a big uh, orange cat out there. So they had found this cat, and were warning. Not only other chickadees, but every other bird, I think, was listening to them, saying, I wonder what that is. Oh, it sounds like they're talking about a cat. And, of course, I hollered at the cat, and the cat looked at me and said, what are you going to do about it, pal? And so I had to run at it, and then it and then it took off. Probably ran ten steps into the brush and, and glared at me. <laughs> uh, our buddy TJ of St. Peter sent photos of many cliff swallow nests on a bridge. The cliff swallows are just beautiful birds. They make these mud nests, and they, they're like jug-like with a hole on the side. And these are the birds, cliff swallows are the birds that return to uh, Capistrano every year. That all uh, uh, There's songs and there's everything about these birds coming back there. I don't know that they come back there anymore. I know Capistrano is trying to find a way to bring them back. But they're really well-made nests. They will sometimes reuse them, and they are—they uh, nest in a community. So we have all these cliff swallow nests. I see them on a lot of bridges over water, and the one that uh, that TJ sent—they were on a bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dane Musing sent uh, photos of a great egret. Nancy Braun sent uh, photos of a female goldfinch peering into Nancy's windows. And in one of the photos, it had a bunch of uh, nesting material. Uh, Marion Ball of Faribault sent photo of baby house wrens. The house wren babies were on the ground. They could not fly well yet, which is 
makes me think that they were either knocked out of the nest, uh, scared out of the nest, uh, wind blew them out of the nest. Who knows what, you know, we had wind that one day was strong enough to blow a gopher out of a hole, so that might have been it. Because when they come out of the nest, they can usually fly for a short distance. Uh, Vicki Laroon and Tom said, good morning, Al. Hope all is well. Uh, our birding has been random. Many hours on the deck watching our hummers, waiting for the fledge and ground feeding of the baby wrens. So much, they got them feeding on the ground too. So much urgency from the hungry babies of all species. A hike in Minneopa where I carried only my big camera and not my iPhone with Merlin walks on the road of Dear Friends Cabin on Lake Superior where the Merlin app found 10 to 12 different species daily. It may be a fool's errand of a ride to find Sandhill Crane family. Um, sent some pictures that Tom had taken. Uh, there was uh, some good ones. A black-capped chickadee, a peewee, a bat, and there was a young house finch. And young house finch, they caught this perfect. He had like two little cowlicks. And very often the young ones have these odd little cowlicks that kind of stick up on their head. And I don't know, guys, I, I had a cowlick when I was growing <laughs> up, and my mom would, she'd even, uh, you know, lick her fingers, or two fingers, and then kind of, before he went into church or something, and put that down. And she was always saying I should uh, ask the barber for, oh, it was brill cream or yeah. something else. And, of course, I didn't want that stuff, so I would never do that. But So I got mom spit, which is much better, because that's how we got our faces cleaned a lot, right. too, was, you know, come over here and wipe it. Uh, Brian Smith. Uh, Brian Smith saw a greater white-fronted goose at the Sleepy Eye Water Treatment Plant. Ponds and Chad Hines saw Wilson snipe in Blue Earth County, and Tate Putman saw a yellow breasted chat in Blue Earth County. A listener said, I saw a squirrel lying on a branch in the shade with its legs splayed. What's going on there? Is it ill? Um, you know what it is? It's a thermal regulatory behavior. I guess our thermal regulatory behavior would be to flip on the air conditioning for the right. most part or a fan or something or go uh, to the lake. Well, this this thermal regulatory behavior is called splooting. S P L O O T I N G. So, an animal in this case a squirrel finds a cool surface and then lies down on its stomach with its legs spread to cool off. And by putting as much of its core body on a cool space, the heat is transferred from its body to that surface. So you'll see squirrels on a shady sidewalk, a trail, a branch, grass. And it, where did the term sploot come from? What well, is Now dogs well, do know, it too, don't they? Dogs, I've seen other animals do that too to stay cool. So I don't think it's just them, right? Does no, it... dogs and cats sploot yeah. too, and, okay. and splooting allows <laughs> pets to cool themselves by pressing their belly onto oh. the ground, or they love tile floors, love doing against tile floors. <clears throat> and they, it's usually, you'll see it in uh, young pets more than older pets. And why is that? It's because the young pets are a, a lot more uh, uh, flexible. 
Oh, sure. So they can they can stretch out like that. Where the old one, you know what they're going to do like a lot of us do. They're going to groan, and then they're going to groan, and then they're going to get up, and then they're going to groan and probably grab a hamstring or something and say, boy, that, was, that wasn't good. i got to start going to those yoga classes again. I think the word sploot, and I'm kind of guessing here, I think it probably derives from the word splat, which makes sense to me, because when you see a a squirrel on a branch like that, it looks like they fell from (laughs) much higher in the tree and just splatted. How do you spell that, that, Al? Is it sploot or splood? S-P-L-O-O-T. The T. Sploot. I love that word. it's flat and spread out, and it's just an appearance of a splat pose. So I, I think that's where it came from. And again, I have no idea where, but that that would certainly make sense to me because I don't know the word sploot otherwise. Yeah. Mm-mm. So I'm sure some child, some poor child somewhere, will be named Sploot now oh, that no. that word has has come out. So. A listener says, how can I make a puddling station, Al? You talked about puddling stations for butterflies. It's pretty easy because even I can do it. You take one of those shallow clay or or plastic bowl or saucer or even some things that uh, flower pots sit in, and you put sand in it. And you might mix in a handful of compost because that would add more important nutrients. I know some people, I guess, put a little salt in there. I I do not do that. But add a a rock or two in there to provide perches. So, you know, kind of a flat rock maybe for the perches because the butterflies will not land in the water. They need a little perch. And then pour enough water into the container to moisten the sand. And you might want to make it even more attractive by adding overripe fruit like bananas and oranges. And I have to put in this time of year particularly, I have to put in this caveat always, it could attract raccoons because uh, they are out there and they're just going to get into everything. Will it so. spoil and start to smell, though? I mean, if you're putting fruit and stuff in there, will that be an issue? Uh, you know, I don't notice. I put bananas out, and mm-hmm. I don't notice any. I'm sure there is a smell because it attracts butterflies mm-hmm. and other things that might. Uh, um, at night, I see the moths come in there, and they certainly work on odors sure. uh, more than colors of flowers and things. So they're attracted to it, but I don't notice the smell of it. And again, it's outside away, so it's not where it's uh, wafting into my office here. So uh, as I pretend to work, so I don't notice it. Uh, some people might have a, you know, we all have our noses are so different because some things smell so bad to us. I I get to birding and I'm birding with friends or something, and we walk around sewage ponds, and it doesn't seem to really bother us at all. Other people, you know, would be gagging out there, and they're probably wiser than we are. We're just uh, used to it, I guess. And um, I'm sure people at work, plumbers and things, that probably doesn't bother them either. So it, it, maybe it's just what I get used to. Maybe I'm used to the smell of um, ripening bananas out there you know, or spoiling bananas. It, it's like being from a farm. You know, I was from a dairy farm, and that didn't bother me. But when I get around a hog farm, that would bother me. And then my, my roommate at college was from a hog farm, and she didn't like dairy. So I think it's all, like you said, kind of what you're adapted to. 
The worst for me was the chickens, and I loved oh, the chickens. Yeah. But I had to go in there and shovel it. We'd take a window <laughs> out, and then you'd put them in our spreader there, and you'd take a fork, and you'd spend spend your whole day between milkins just shoveling out uh, chicken poop. And, yep. uh, oh, that would make my eyes run and my nose run and everything else. And, again, I loved chickens. They were my friends. But, that ammonia. oh, my goodness, that was a smell in there. Say, Al, I've got a few uh, text. Our text machine works again. Would be a good time now to share those with them? It would be not only a good time, it would be a perfect time. Okay. Hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about what happened in my yard the other night. I asked your substitute last week, but he didn't ask the bird guy. Please don't leave us again. I missed you. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh. One of my dogs was pooping the other night, and I heard the strangest sound I've ever heard. I looked at my dog just in time to see a dark cat-sized winged creature plow right into my pup, then fly off. I knocked my pooch out of the gargoyle position, scared the poop away, <laughs> and my dog came running. I had no idea what this winged mystery was until several nights later. It's an owl. I heard the sound and saw him. I thought that owls had great eyesight. Why would he have run into my dog? This dog is 68 pounds, so if the owl was trying to eat him, he was really ambitious. When I saw the owl, he had a very strange way of flying. He was like lumbering through the air. It didn't seem like the flight of a smooth night predator. Could something be wrong with the bird? Thank you. From Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, great to hear from you. And I will answer the first part first. There's always a chance that there's something wrong with the bird. We, we just don't know. It could be hurt or sick or it could be just hungry. We have young owls that are out there, and they make uh, poor life choices on occasion. <laughs> So uh, I think sometimes like a great horned owl just thinks that it is king of the world and it can, uh, you know, everything is a prey item. And it might have uh, just seen part of your dog and not seen the whole dog and said, hot dog, there's something, you know, maybe a tail was moving or something. So the owl thought, oh, gosh, there's a rat or something down there. So it flew down. And then the then it discovered how big the dog was, and it went yikes, and then took off, saying, "Boy, I don't know what I was doing there. Maybe I need to get my glasses checked or something." So it's a time of year where we see some uh, crazy things from owls, and uh, we'll hear them screaming, and it's usually young owls screaming because they want to be fed and they want their parents to keep feeding them. And their parents very often will feed them into the fall. So September, maybe even October, you'll still see on occasion where the parent will come in with uh, some food and just spit it out and say, there you go, now shut up and eat it. So I'm guessing that's what's going on there, Jennifer. It's uh, the, the, I'm glad the dog's okay. It uh, probably helped it uh, help it with its bathroom duties there i would guess being shocked like that you would think it would do that but it's uh, i hope the owl has learned its lesson and your dog doesn't become a, a nervous canine because of that <laughs> i've got another uh, text here from our friend john in new Ulm. he says i've been hearing cicadas and have two or three new cicada wasp nests in my yard i will try to get a fresh one for show and tell I paid someone to remove bald-faced hornet nest at my dad's house the size of a big grapefruit. 
Shout out to Tom Cruise for showing people what a typical day is like in my life in his new Mission Impossible movie. Reporting live from New Ulm, John. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, he has an interesting uh, interesting life, I think. I see bald, I'm seeing a bald-faced hornet nest at an Audubon preserve in Albert Lee. And we have uh, honeybees there, so we produce honey. And, um, you know, I like the bald-faced hornets. And, folks, these are the ones in the old cartoons or maybe the Three Stooges or Laurel and Hardy where a football-sized nest fell on somebody's head and they went running around, and that's bald-faced hornets. The reason I, uh, how can I put this? The reason I don't like seeing them is uh, they kill our honeybees, and they, uh, they don't do it all the time. But they certainly do it some of the time. So, and I have not, John. I have not heard a cicada here. I don't know why. I usually hear them in uh, oh the last part of June, probably first part of July. Not very many. Just kind of these uh, little voice crying out in the wilderness. So I usually don't hear much of them. But I have heard nothing here in my home yet at all from cicadas yet. And it's time we start hearing them. And I've got one more, but I'm going to wait to, uh, I'm not sure it says it's a song to play for you and Al, but I think I'm going to listen to it before I play it because I'm not sure what it is. So maybe we'll play it later when, uh, after I perbrew, it's probably fine, but I just want to make sure. (laughs) Yeah, I I had a short uh, radio career and we would get people saying, could you play this? And on occasion, you just say, oh, sure, and you put it on there, and then there was uh, those yipes moments because yeah. there would be uh, things on there that probably we shouldn't have been Although out there. Although so. I think this might be from Miss Lone, and that's the case. I'm sure it's fine, but I'll I'll, oh, well, I'll get to it later. <laughs> then you know it's, it's right. problems if it's from Miss Lona because, right. you know, yeah. Troublemaker. <laughs> Hi, Lona. Uh, throughout July, the Raptor Center, one of my favorite places, their clinic will see what an influx of nestling broadwing hawks, Cooper's hawks, Merlins, and osprey, in addition to recently fledged bald eagles and peregrine falcons. And they're all experiencing the challenges of learning to maneuver in the sky and to hunt. Just as that owl was uh, experiencing in its uh, hunting uh, I wonder if her dog is a hunting dog. That would be hunting, hunting dogs would be. A. Yeah. And I, uh, Vicky Laroon said, Al, when are you going to be on the Pelican Breeze? I'm going to be on the Pelican Breeze on July 30th. It's a, a huge pontoon, and we do natural history tours on Albert Lee Lake, and it's at 1:30 on July 30th. If anybody's interested, uh, it's a 507 number, 383-7273, 383-7273. And I'm glad you uh, had a great time out there. I think Dwayne behaved, as I haven't heard any other reports, so <laughs> I'm going to say he was on, on some of his uh, better behavior anyway. You know, I, I've been wor- I work at a lot of fairs and things, so I hear uh, country music pretty much endlessly. Mm-hmm. It's just playing somewhere. And I've learned that you can find a barbecue place by just listening for blues music. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's where you can get barbecue. 
and there was a country song. I don't know who sings it, or I don't know the name of it or anything. It was just playing, and they were saying, rain makes corn, corn makes whiskey, rain is a good thing. Uh, I don't care about the whiskey, but, you know, I'm a fan of corn. You have to be, I guess, around here. I'd like rain enough to knock us off the drought map. That's what I'd love. Yes. And uh, somebody by the name of Pima Chadron, I I don't know anybody named Pima, P-E-M-A, wrote, and I don't know if it's a woman or a man or who Pima is, she wrote, or he wrote, you are the sky, everything else, it's just the weather. And, oh, man, that's a lot of responsibility, which means uh, I have to check the water level of the creek. I know it's creek, but it's been the <laughs> creek all my life. And it was my boyhood Disneyland. It's the Lesur River running through the farm. And it doesn't seem that long ago when I'd yell, save some for the fish, to a friend drinking at a water fountain at the Heartland Elementary. And our nature walks were taken behind the school. Our our wonderful teachers, uh, Mrs. Demmer, Mrs. Sibrin, and Mrs. Bach would do nature walks. And we go behind the school near the monkey bars and the puker. And we'd look at a squirrel. We'd look at a couple of house sparrows and a dandelion as we listened to a John Deere Model B tractor pop. It was wonderful. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Welcome back, Karen, and uh, I hope you, I hope everything behaved while you were gone in your house and everything. You know, it's, it's always something. So I hope uh, everything behaved, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Well, Al, the person who watched our cats only saw the snake once. All they had to do was turn the light on and turn the light off, which just reminded me I forgot to turn it on this morning. But because uh, my, my son is on, uh, he's on a journey in camp right now so he's gone but the 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 um, pet sitter they for a snake you know it's easy all he had to do was just go and turn the light on turn the light off they feed once a week so he was good so the cats were fine everything's alive the plants wanted water but other than that we're good so thanks al Thanks, Karen. One quick question. Yeah. German camp, New Ulm? No, New Ulm? <laughs> actually, it's the Concordia language camp. It is up by Bermidji, and it's really cool. They've got, you know, every language, Arabic, Chinese, French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, you name it. And uh, it's a this. we have him up for the two-week segment. There's also one-week segments. They've got uh, four-week segments, which I think you can do for credit for school. But here the school, he had German 1, and he liked it so much he wanted to take German 2, but there weren't enough students to take it, so they didn't offer it. So this was kind of an alternative. So he gets to go up there, and and my husband brought him up there. You know, it's a good five-hour trip up past Bemidji. You bet. And so when he got there, it's an immersive one, so the only thing they do is talk German. So when my husband got there, who doesn't know any German, they were all talking in German, and he was sort of, uh, he said, well, they, they, it truly is immersion. The only person that talked to him in English was the health person to make sure they got all the detail about medications or health issues correct. But otherwise, it's all German, and apparently immersion's a great way to, to learn a new language. So he's oh, up there, and it. yeah, and it's on a lake, and uh, he's doing the segment that's uh, medieval Renaissance era, so he gets to be a knight or something like that. It's, it's beautiful up there. I stayed with some friends. I was working at the college, and I stayed at on Lake Bemidji and listened to the baby porcupines crunch 
as they ate all night long. Oh, you know, that's one thing they said when we were at this big turtle lake is there's porcupines everywhere. I didn't see any, but apparently that's a big thing up there. You can, uh, you can hear them on a quiet night. <laughs> you hear that crunch, 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 crunch. What are they eating? Uh, bark of trees and things, oh. I, I would guess. Well, next year or next time if I go up there, I'm going to look for that. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Always great to talk to our friend Al Bat.